So it seems that there's a whole lot of things going on at this church, aren't there? And, and we like it that way. We like the idea that we have the opportunity to get out and make a difference in the community. Um, that on behalf of all of our congregational members, we try to be as careful and, and as responsible as we can with everything that God has given to us, uh, and most of it through you, and we go out into the community. Again, our goal is not to be the biggest church in Madison County, but our goal is to make the biggest impact that we possibly can. And we have found a number of ways of doing it. Um, you heard Abby talking about mooching. Um, you heard um, Pastor Janice talking about our relationship to Kirksville Elementary School. Um, and, and there are a variety of other things that we find ourselves getting involved in. And not the least of which, when we talk about who we are as a church um, going to Zimbabwe, who we are as a church going to Louisville, who we are as a church. Uh, one of the most important things, and what I want to talk about today to, to wrap up our, our sermon series, is children. I want to talk about the idea of standing up and that children are important. Children are important to us. Children are important to Jesus. And, and I want to kind of, I, I want to kind of um, walk into this just a little tiny bit um, so that we can begin to share some things. Okay. Um, honestly, um, you know, you've heard some people say that children are our future. You've heard people say children are our present. Um, in our house, grandchildren are our future. Um, they're our whole lives. Um, our children are kind of getting to the place where, you know, we hear things like, you never let us do that. And it's like, yeah, well, those days are gone. Okay. They just are. Grandkids can get away with just about anything. Um, it would seem at our house. Um, we value children here just like we do in our home. This is our family. My wife and I have um, five children at the present. We have six grandkids. There's only four of them there. The two little princes are not in that particular picture. And I, I absolutely love that picture. Um, I love the day that we took those pictures, everything about that photograph, you know, and the standing joke in, uh, in, in our family is that God said to go forth and, and, and uh, uh, multiply and subdue the earth, but he didn't actually say we had to do it all. Um, you know, that, that wasn't necessarily our responsibility. So we're aware of this and, and uh, we're aware of what God is doing. There are times that I have wished in my life that you would have had to have taken a class to have children, um, that they would have had to assess you to take children um, or to have children, that, um, you know, all of these things that you go through for a driver's license or, or even a, you know, a permit to, to, to go fishing or, or hunting or whatever it is. But to have kids, you just, you just make them and you can have them. And it's like, and then you're expected to know what to do with them. And then it, you know, it gets kind of crazy. Well, at the end of the day, just know that we love kids around here. We love kids to the point that we actually do something about it and we are involved in them. And we're going to have a service today it's going to be a little tiny bit different than what we normally do. Because at the end of this service, when people come up here to pray, you're going to notice that there are children standing up here um, alongside of our adult prayer team. Because um, we sent Pastor Janice over last weekend to the children's department, and she was teaching the children um, the, what we call the prayer model, the vineyard prayer model, and how to do that. And they began to pray for each other and receive um, words for each other. And it was absolutely amazing. And some of you are like, my children is still, my child is still doing this to me, uh, and that's okay. We want to raise up our children in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. We don't want them to go to church. 
We want them to chase Jesus. We want them to know that, that they uh, are filled with the Holy Spirit, that God wants to speak to them. And that's not always the way um, things go. I want to share a passage from the book of Mark. Um, I'm in uh, Mark chapter 9, if you want to follow along in one of these things. If not, you can whip out your little digital um, implement of, of darkness destruction, um, and you can look at version if you want to, or you can just know that every time you show up, it's going to show up on the screen. Screen, and I will share it with you. It just makes it hard to keep notes in the common or in the columns if um, you didn't bring your Bible with you um, and you don't know how to do it on U version. There is a way to do it on U version. But anyway, that being said, I want to look at um, Mark chapter nine, and I want to look at uh, a story in Mark nine, and I want to look at another story in Mark ten. So there's two different stories, but both of them involve children. All right, so. Jesus finds himself in Mark chapter 9 coming to Capernaum and uh, he was in the house and his disciples, okay, they came uh, and he asked his disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? Okay, what you need to know is on the road, they were all trying to jockey for position. They were always trying to decide which one of them is more important to Jesus than anybody else. You know, we've got some friends that are getting married this year, and it's kind of crazy because as they begin to make their um, list on who they're going to invite to their wedding, what is it that you have to do? It's the only time in your life, really, that you actually have to go through and decide which one of your friends are more important than all of your other friends, right? Because first of all, if you're, if you're a girl, then you've got to decide which ones are your maids of honor. And I promise, there's a hundred of your BFFs think that they're your BFF. And so they're waiting for you to call them and say, hey, don't you want to be my maid of honor? And that never even crossed your mind. You know, and, and yet, guys, you're like, hey, you know, I know I got to have my brother and I got to have my friend over there and I got to have this guy. And, and honestly, guys don't care that much, generally. Generally, guys don't care about that. What they care about is, hey, did I get an invite? Do I get to come and are we going to have a really good time? That's what they want to know. Okay, girls want to know which one of us is more important. But at the same time, maybe you've got a venue where you can only seat 150 or 200 people, and suddenly you, your parents, they, they gave each of you 100 people of their own friends that you have to invite because this is their party too. And you're like, no, 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 no. And so you've got to do it. Well, Jesus' disciples are no different. They're going through life and they're following him around and they want to know which one of them is more important than the other one. Which one of us is going to be the greatest? So as they come into Capernaum, um, they were in the house and he asked his disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Isn't that crazy? You know, when somebody calls you out on something that you didn't think they know anything about and you're like, oh, yeah. Mm, I'm just going to zip it right here and await. Is this a rhetorical question, Jesus? Because I'm not answering it. I'm going to look bad, and I don't want to. But that, he wasn't, he wasn't going to let that go. They kept quiet because they'd been arguing about who was the greatest. And so Jesus, sitting down, called the twelve, and he said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, that's really important for you to understand the kingdom of God and what it is we've signed up for. When we come to Jesus and we say, Lord, here's my life, one of the things that we're doing is we're saying, God, where do I serve? Where do I come in and bring the love of God to the kingdom of humanity that is on this earth? And how can I convince them um, by serving them that Jesus loves them? And so Jesus says, well, this is the way you, you, you need to understand the kingdom of God. It's upside down from the kingdom of the world. 
If you want to be the most important, the most important person in the room, according to Jesus, is the one that's plunging the toilet that just choked up without being asked to. The most important person in the room is the one that just opened the door for you. The most important person in the room is the one that is cleaning up the mess that you just made accidentally, accidentally. You spilled a cup and you're looking around and somebody jumps and they get on their hands and knees and and they begin to wash the, the floor and clean up the mess. The one that wants to make you feel loved, the one that wants to make you feel important, the one that wants to put their arms around you and say, we all spill coffee. We all tip things over. We all trip over something. None of us are perfect. We want to encourage you to know who God is. Jesus is saying that is the most important person. The least of all is the greatest in the kingdom. And then, the scripture says, he took a child. Jesus took a child, and he had the child. Remember, there's at least, at least, and I would say because he's inside the house, probably limited to the 12 disciples. But we understand from reading the Bible that that word disciple is not limited to 12. There's 12 apostles. 13, really, but one didn't make the cut. Um, but there's, there's probably 12 there. And Jesus, in somebody's home, reaches out and gets their child and brings the child over and lets him stand, and he becomes part of the message. In today's society, we would say, whoa, 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 whoa. Rate it in there, religious boy. Um, you know, have you got a waiver from his parents that says you're allowed to do this? Can we video this? Because I'm not sure you can put him on social media, you know. And now Jesus didn't give us his name, so he didn't put him on blast, okay? So we, we've got that. But you know, in our society, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying, look at the picture. Jesus reaches over and grabs a, a young person and has that child stand there in front of them And he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome just me, but the one who sent me. Big picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus says, it looks like children. The kingdom of God looks like children. Brian McLaren is a guy that writes books, theology type stuff, and uh, I I read the contents, or the, excuse me, not the contents, I read the intro to his book one time and I put it down and it's like, you know, that is not for me. That guy is way, way, way too smart. I don't know, you know, if he can tie his shoes, but I can tell you he can think thoughts theologically. I, I, I can't hear it. I have to wrestle so hard with everywhere that, that, that he's pulling stuff from. It was absolutely amazing. I was at a meeting one time, a big church conference. It was about two or 3,000 of us there. And Brian McLaren was there. The guy was there. And he was trying to explain the fact that Jesus had to come down here and what the, the, the uh, incarnation of Jesus was and why it was important and on and on and on. And Jesus had to come down here and take on people form and he had to walk amongst us and on and on and on. And, and this dude went on for 45 minutes at the end of 45 minutes. He just simply went, does that make sense? And somebody in the back said, you mean like when Jane Goodall went to Africa and lived with the chimpanzees and learned to talk their language so that she could understand them? And he said, exactly. And the man said, why didn't you say that 45 minutes ago? 
See, he is so, so, so smart. And so many times we think that the kingdom of God and the things of God and the Bible are so deep that we're just simple and we can't understand it. That People will say to me, well, Pastor Joe, I don't have a Bible college education. Listen to me. I have a Bible college education of pastoral ministries, a two-year degree from um, Rosedale Bible College, okay? Yay. Uh, who cares? Who, honestly, who cares? Is education important? Yes. Can you read your Bible? I believe it. And you have to be able to understand it and see it through the eyes of a child. Because the primary thing that God was coming down here to do was to give us a revelation of the kingdom of heaven and make it so simple. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does my neighbor mean, Lord? Okay. A man was going along the road, and I can hear Jesus doing this, and he fell into the hands of robbers. So which one do you think was his neighbor? Well, the man that helped him. See, he, he kept trying to make it simple and simple and simple and simple. And that's the goal. And I believe that that is why Jesus used a child. If all you do is flip the page in your Bible, you come to a place in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. This says people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. I love that. I love that. They wanted to know which of them was the most important, a page before here. And then suddenly, they've decided Jesus is too important for little children to come and be with him. And so he was indignant, and he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these now now make sure you understand what you're reading here it does not say the kingdom belongs to these it says the kingdom of God belongs belongs to such as these now Jesus is making a statement here I tell you the truth anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it and he took the child in his arms put his hands on them and he blessed them that's the picture of Jesus and little children. And I love that picture. You know, there's a number of things going on in each of those pictures. And the first one is when we get so full of ourselves that we forget that when heaven looks down on us, it sees children. We are referred to even as adults as the children of God. We are the children of God. Don't you think the angels look down and go, oh my goodness, he can't even put his shoes on right. How's he going to get to church and lead the church? <laughs> Just like we do our children. Oh, look, she showed up with two different shoes on, but they look a lot alike. You ever been there? Come on now, I've met some of you before, and you said, look, Pastor Joe, I walked out of the house with two different shoes on. And you did. I read a post one time on Facebook where a lady said, it was summer, and said, I forgot to put my shoes on. She was halfway to work in her car. Driving. Don't you think heaven looks down and goes, oh, <laughs> they think they're so big, you know, like we do our children. You know, some of you have like three and four-year-olds that are going on 30. You know, they come up and they will say words like, well, actually, Pastor Joe, I'm understanding the anthropomorphism of, and you're like, what? Who is in that child? You know, who's there? Because they are that way. But sometimes I wonder if God does not look down here 
And it is crazy to me to try to grasp the importance that Jesus puts on people, children. And what I'm trying to say here is when we think about the kingdom of God, sometimes we overthink the kingdom of God. And we're not called to overthink it. When Jesus says, hey, nobody comes to the Father except through me, but anybody can come. You do not have to have a theology lesson to understand that because what it means is nobody can come to God except through Jesus, but anybody can come. When the scripture says, I will cast my sins as far as the east is from the west, and I will, your sins as far as the east is from the west, and I will rem remember them no more. You know what he means? He means, I will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west, and I will not bring them up ever again. See, when we read the scripture and we're, we're reading the words of Jesus and we stop and we say, I wonder what Jesus meant. Theologically speaking, from a Bible college perspective, the simplest meaning is the right meaning. Context. Where is he? How is he saying it? What's going on in there? And that's what's going on. What I love about these stories is the importance that parents put on having Jesus in the presence, excuse me, their children in the presence of Jesus. I love that. This priority was so big that they traveled to find Jesus, or they traveled with Jesus. They recognized that at the end of the age, the eternal things are going to be what's important in that child's life, not the temporal things. You know me. Have fun. Jesus created the earth for us. Let's do this. Jump off the bridge. But at the same time, Am I thinking long-term and eternally? I love that. Children brought into the presence of God, and God himself says, whoa, 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 make a little space for these children because I need to bless them. What an incredible story. You know, we went to Zimbabwe, and there were people there, and what they were looking for was hope. What they were looking for was something different. What they, look, what they were looking for was a blessing. You've heard me say since we got back in mid-October that I, I've never met a society, I've never been in a culture where the desire to have somebody pray for you was so strong. When people realized that, that, that you were here and you were on a missions trip, that you wanted to pray, that they would come up and say, will you pray for me? One of my pictures that I get to share is, is of me when I talk to a young man uh, about Jesus and he finally just stops me and says, who is Jesus? And it's like, oh baby, let me tell you. And so we spent some time, Albert and I, and he met Jesus. But they would come and the goal is for us to tell these children that God cares and people want to know, does God care? We have most recently entered into a relationship with a school in Marandera, Zimbabwe, on the continent of Africa, St. Francis School. It's a Christian school. I didn't notice anything that said it was anything other than just a straight Christian school. But we went there to feed children, and these are the children that we went there to feed. 
We went there, uh, Bruce and, and Lane Taylor and I um, were on this mission trip with a couple other pastors and people from um, Michigan and Ohio, and we went to this school, and they have what they call a feeding scheme, and we fed approximately 250 out of the 430 students that were there. And these are young people that come in, and I, and I love these pictures, and I love to see these pictures, because it didn't matter where we went. This is what you saw from children. You see those faces? That's what we saw. Nobody was doing this. Okay? I know they're not perfect, but, but there they were, just children. And they just knew that somebody was going to love on them and somebody cared about them and somebody wanted to be in their presence. The next picture, that's, that's my favorite picture. This particular one is, is one of my favorite pictures because it just shows um, the, the massive little children. And these are the children that are in grades 0, 0 through 3. 0, 0 just simply means in our world pre-K. That's all it means. And so these little children come right now, and they get to eat um, what's in that cup. They get to have that, and it's kind of like cream of wheat, but it's been designed by doctors and people to be incredibly, ridiculously uh, nutritious. And so they get to come on Monday, and they get to come on Thursday, and they get to have a big cup of that, um, and, and every once in a while there might be a little bit extra, and they get to have some more. And, and this is probably the food that they're going to get for the day, some of those little kids. That's what they're going to get for today. Their parents are trying so hard to eke out a living in, in a world with an inflation rate that's over 500%. And it's just crazy. And they're at risk right now for not living. And so we've entered into this relationship, and we're going to add to what the church is doing in that particular um, situation. And what we add to it will allow 450 students, approximately 420 to 450 students, to have food every single day while they're at that school, from 00 to 6th grade. Now, you can, listen, you can clap if you want, but look around, because I'm not doing it. I made the connection. We are doing this. Oh yeah, I'm bringing my tithe to God. I I'm doing that part. But the staff is being very careful with all the tithes that come in. And we're saying, God, what do you want us to do? And God said, I want you to invest $5,000 of the church's budget in that school. And that's going to be the beginning of our relationship to what's going on in Zimbabwe. Because those little children, if they do not get fed, I was told some of them will not live past 13 or 14 years old. When they, when they get out of sixth grade, and I may have that age wrong because I don't always have my grades right and my ages right, but when they get out of that grade, then they're pretty much on their own. They have to determine whether or not they're going to keep going to school, whether their parents can afford to send them to school, but eating is, is, is going to be something that they have to come up with kind of on their own as they go to government schools. And when I see those little children, I'm reminded <laughs> that Jesus was welcoming of children. Jesus welcomed little children. I love little children. I do not give your little children jolly ranchers just because I am trying to buy their affection like our worship leader says that I do. I'm going to throw her under the bus today, okay? <laughs> she says, you're just paying for their affection. It's like I'm paying for the opportunity to have a relationship with them because I have seen pictures of some of your children from four years ago in the last couple of days and been reminded that I get to watch them come up. I get to watch them grow. I get to watch them develop into adult human beings. But right now, the Spirit of God is still inside of them. And the most important thing that we can do as a 
society, not as a church society, but as a society, is invest the kingdom of God back into our children that they might have a chance to change the world. The best time to plant a tree was 15 years ago. The next best time is right now. But we will never see the tree or enjoy the tree, maybe, um, somebody said when they shared that quote with me. But I'm not planting the tree for me. I'm investing the kingdom of God in your children. We are investing the kingdom of God in your children because the devil is out there. And as your children grow, the devil will be looking for more and greater opportunities to steal your children's souls. And I want to see your children raised in the knowledge of who they really are and let them act like that. Jesus was incredibly welcoming. I'm astonished as I read this scripture that there were children with Jesus, I believe, traveling along. Parents were bringing their children to Jesus. It was important for them to get out of bed and go find Jesus. And you and I are living the example that our children need to see. We are investing into our own children here just like we're investing in Zimbabwe. If we don't have time for our children, if we don't believe in pouring into um, our children, then we don't believe in our own future because this world wants to steal your children's innocence. This, this world wants to steal your child's joy. It wants to enslave your children to addictions that will kill them. And with you, whether, whether you understand this or can comprehend this just yet or not, this world belongs to the prince of the power of the air. Have you ever given that any thought at all? That's what the scripture refers to the devil as in the New Testament, the prince of the power of the air. Isn't it interesting? I don't know if you've ever you know, thought this way. And again, it's not a deep thought that I had to theologically unpack. It's just a thought. That when you read in your Bible that the devil tempted Jesus and he took him up on top of the mount, excuse me, took him up on top of the temple and told him to look around and said, hey, I'll give you all of this, on top of the mount, said, I'll give you all of this if you'll fall down and worship me. Jesus didn't say, it doesn't belong to you. The devil knew that he could offer that to Jesus because he's the prince of the power of the air. Jesus did not refute him and say, dude, it's mine. Because he hadn't won it back yet. He had not died on the cross for the sin that made it enemy territory. He had not won it back. In this world, you will be undermined in your children and the raising of your children unless. Now listen to me. I'm not just talking to moms and dads here. I'm talking to aunts and uncles. I'm talking to children's workers across the way. Do you understand how important being involved in the children's ministry is whatever church you attend? It's their souls we're after. Not their baptism, not their... We're after an understanding of walking with Jesus on a daily basis. We're trying to impart that to them as they go. This world is going to undermine you unless you're intentional. You have got to be intentional with your children. They do not accidentally get it. They see it. 
They can make a choice about it, but your children need uh, to, to have a sit-down conversation and a regular lifestyle discussion about their relationship to Jesus. You know what's crazy is that parents will often kind of, and, and when I say go through the motions here, I don't mean go through the motions like you're not Christians. I mean, we go through our lifestyle and we want our children to understand it, but it is still so ridiculously important for us to sit down and have a conversation with children. I can continue to love my wife and love my wife and love my wife, and, and I don't mean to offend anybody today, but sooner or later, I'm actually going to have to have a conversation with a growing child that's turning into adult about sex. I can't just hope they get it. And people focus on this and say, oh, have you had the talk yet? I want to know if you're talking to your children about Jesus as much as you worry about talking to them about sex. Because this one's going to last longer. It's eternal. We have got to be intentional. Our children need our attention and our time now. They need to know about your successes. But listen to me. Don't hide your failures from your children because what happens is when they grow up, and they've never seen you or heard you discuss your failures, and you don't have to celebrate failures. But they need to know that they're normal when they struggle. They need to know that. That it's not unusual to have a problem or to feel like you failed. I've often told people, I am not trying to teach people how not to sin. The Bible says don't sin. Please don't do that. As the pastor, I'm trying to teach you to get back up when you do. Because my God is not done with you until you're off the planet. You've got to be intentional. They need your ears, both of them, and they need your mouth, one of them. Talk to your children. Tell them why you're doing what you're doing. We're headed off to church. Why are we doing that? We're not going to church because I'm the pastor. This is the way I would raise you if I were not the pastor. We want to love Jesus. We want to be in the presence of Jesus. This world will undermine you unless you're truthful. You know, one of the reasons that I really like high school students and I really like bikers, same reasons, high school, college students, I'll, I'll, I'll couple them together, young adults, is because they're ridiculously honest and they can see right through you. I hate that and I love that. They know if you're being fake. Your kids do too. When you talk about Jesus on Sunday, remember, they go home with you. Not because you're perfect, but because you're their parents and you're giving them an example. Be truthful with your children. Don't hide your struggles. Just reassure them that struggle is normal and show them how to win. Show them what a win is. The world will undermine us unless we're consistent. You want to know how to have the best dog in the world? Be consistent. Why are we talking about dogs all of a sudden? Because it's amazing to me how important consistency is. Not perfection. I've never been perfect in my life. I've got five children that if you sit down and have a conversation with them, will explain it to you. And you'll probably go find another church. but what does it mean for us to be consistent? If no is no, then let it continue to be no. If love is love, let it continue to be love. Let them see that. They need to see that. What they see on Sunday, they need to see on Monday. The most dangerous thing to your child is not the world that they live in, 
but the home that they live in. Think about that for a second. Oh, that's too much pressure, Pastor Joe. I understand. I understand. Because I believe this. I don't believe the world can out-teach you. I don't think it's the teacher's responsibility to teach your child all the things. As parents, it's our responsibility to sit down with them and do that together. The educational system in America is there to encourage, inspire, to educate, and to help the parent educate their child. I always cringe whenever I hear somebody say, well, that teacher's responsibility is to, whoa, 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 that teacher didn't have those children. <laughs> you did. At the end of the day, it's your responsibility to teach them calculus. I'm not even sure I could spell that right, let alone do it for sure. But that's why I lean heavily on teachers, and I'm there to support them. The things that they see is the way you do or don't love God, the way you do or don't love your spouse, the way you do or don't love your friends, the way you do or don't love strangers among you, the way you do or don't love your enemy. Sooner or later, all of this catches up. How does a child receive the kingdom of God? By example. And through the words that you speak intentionally out of your mouth. What they hear and what they see becomes what children believe long before they can read it for themselves. We need to get a hold of that. The church comes alongside of parents to lead them or to leave them. We can lead our children into Christ or we can leave them to understand it and figure it out for themselves. Lead them to heaven or lead them, excuse me, lead them to our culture. And one of the ways that we try to do this as a church is through our V Kids ministry. Locally, what does the best children's ministry in the world, in my opinion, look like? A consistent and excited teachers that recognize the importance of their roles. That what they're doing is shaping human beings. That the environment that they learn in is conducive to learning from a child's perspective. People look at our, our church and they say, well, how come you don't let the children sit in the church with the adults? We do. They can be in here. But here's the other thing. I may be talking over their head, and you may spend all of, your trying, all of your time just trying to get them to sit still. We think it's a lot more conducive and a lot more, um, a, a lot more intelligent to invest in your children in a manner which they are used to learning in, and then it's a matter of what we are teaching them. But do it on their level so that they spend their time chasing Jesus and learning about Jesus, not just learning to sit still. Do I think learning to sit still is important? Listen to me. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially in a restaurant. <laughs> but I also am more concerned with them continuing to grow up in the grace and the knowledge of Christ than learning to sit still. The last thing is that the best children's ministry comes when parents prioritize their children's spiritual life. When the trumpet blows, that whole seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you is going to make so much sense. So much sense. Let's all just have a good cry because the kids walked in, okay? <clears throat> when you talk to your children about jobs and careers, do you talk to them about becoming missionaries and pastors? children's ministry workers. 
When you teach them to manage their money so that they'll be able to provide for themselves, do you teach them to tithe and that tithe means 10%? Do you teach them that? When you teach them about love and relationships, do you teach them that the most important thing that you want to know when they say that girl or that boy likes me is whether that girl or that boy loves Jesus? Do you teach them that? Do you try to get across to them that dating a non-Christian is one of the dumbest things that could possibly happen, possibly happen in their lives? That marrying people that we don't share values with is going to make the road rocky. And it starts with God. Your children matter. And your children from zero, zero, all the way up through high school and through college into mooching, stay out of my chair, matter. They matter. And that's why we pour into them. Being a parent can be one of the hardest things you've ever done. Being a single parent, I can't comprehend. But you're here, and you're winning. It never feels like you're winning until that other person comes over and says, I was with your child the other day out somewhere, and you cringe, you know how it is. Where's this going? And they say, you've raised the most amazing children. And you cry because you think, where are they? <laughs> They're not the ones I have at home. <laughs> they really are. They really are. It takes a tribe to raise a child. It does. It's so hard. And we want to be here for you. These children volunteered to pray for you today. They were not told, now we have to go pray for the adults. They were not told they have to. They were asked, which ones of you want to go? They're here. They're not more spiritual or less spiritual than any other children that did not come. Some of you are like, where's my child? Okay. Deep breath, mom and dad. Shh, They're here because we believe in children. We believe in God in these children. We believe in the Holy Spirit in these children. And we believe that these children at times will act like children because they're children. But that doesn't mean God does not want to use them today. I don't know what you're going through in your life. But today I just want to say, regardless of what it is that you're going through, can we pray for you? Regardless of what it is that you don't understand that God is doing, can we pray for you? When you see out in front of you that you've got to get across this chasm, but you don't see the bridge, can we pray for you? When you wonder if God sees you, can we pray for you? I'm going to pray. They're going to be right here. We're going to go into our closing song quietly, gently, carefully. See how I instruct them from behind me. I'm a professional. Don't try this at home. And then while we're singing, I want to invite you to come up here and allow them to pray for you. Because they can pray. Fathers, we come before you and Holy Spirit, we just invite you to fall upon us because we need you. 
God here in front of us right now is the innocence of these children that you've been moving in their lives and teaching them to pray and giving them opportunities to express you through them. And so as we come before you right now, I just pray. God, we've had some, some rough times, some rough weeks. Difficult choices. Bad things have happened to us. We're facing some things we don't understand. We're excited about some things that we don't understand. But what we know, God, is we need you. And so as we come before you right now, we say, come Holy Spirit, fall upon us and move us out of our comfort zone, out of our seat, that we might receive the blessing of heaven. We ask this in Jesus' holy name.